Welcome here. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so glad to have you here. If you're new with us, special welcome to you. We're glad that your friends or family have brought you here and you said yes to, to, to being here today. Just a reminder, we're in a bit of a series called Doorway to Christmas. So we've been talking for the last couple of weeks how Jesus came into this world as a baby into this world, not as a conquering Messiah or as a king from heavens, but was limited and born into a, a baby boy and grew up with all those limitations. So if you, anything you hear today or anything sparks your imagination or you're interested in stuff we're talking about, make sure to follow us on cdac.ca slash messages and you can hear all our series, all our messages there and you can connect with us and you can subscribe to your favorite podcasts and follow along and send us your messages. So we're just going to jump right into this doorway to Christmas. So if you have any programs, pull out your message notes. Or if you're the kind of person who likes to do it electronically, just take out your phone. We use the version Bible app. If you go to that and click more and events, Circle Drive will pop up. You can click on that and all the notes will be there and you can share them with your circle groups, with your friends. You can make notes and keep track of that. And the fun fact is you can look at your phone in church and feel very spiritual. <laughs> Nobody will know you're looking at Facebook and liking pictures of me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking. Well, it's Christmas. It is my favorite time of the year, and I know you probably hear a lot of people say that. It is one of my favorite times of the year. You get to hang out with family and friends. You get to hear stories, reconnect with one another, and it's a really exciting time. And if you're like me, your time is spent with warmth, with fun, with good food, with great stories, and a lot of laughter at each other and with each other and all that kind of stuff. But for many of us, Christmas carries a lot of other things, doesn't it? It carries new beginnings, it carries sorrow, disappointment, it carries moments of new way of living, if it carries moments of reflecting and thinking you never thought your life would be like this. And so we have this time of Christmas where we have these different emotions that come together. On one side we're supposed to be happy and cheery and hopeful, on the other side we carry a lot of pain and hurt and we're reminded about failures or brokenness or pain when we come together. And so we have this frame of understanding, this vantage point I've seen our life. And if we use the doorway imagery that this is the doorway that Jesus entered this world into, perhaps we can use the doorway another way, that our framework of seeing the world is limited, that all we see is a little bit through this door. And often this door is very cluttered. Our view is limited. Our frame of reference is, is cluttered with, well, life. And all of us don't want to admit about some of the pain we carry or some of the hurt that we have in this season. And so we, we say, well, no, that's okay. I'll get over it. I'll get through this. But reality is that all of the experiences that make us, us, are the things that we carry and are the things that we see the world through. And we can't help but see everything that we see through this framework. We can't help but see life through our own experiences through our own pain and joys. And so in this season of cheer and hope and joy, we're told to have faith and to hold it all together. And so today I want us to kind of focus on this doorway of Christmas on this part that we call faith. And why is faith even crucial? And what does it even mean for us? And how is it applicable to those of us that feel like we have been failed by others? Or maybe we have failed. How do we understand faith in light of life's circumstances that are heavy and hard? I mean, we all have some kind of faith. We have a value system of some sort. We have an ethic of some sort. 
We live out our life based accordingly to some kind of belief system that we have, whether it is in God or in whatever else. And so if you're visiting with us today, if your friends said, you know, it's Christmas, you should come with me, and you said, okay, thank you for being a good friend and being here. If you're here because your family said it's Christmas, you should come to church, and you said, yes, thank you for being here. And I want you to know that you're very welcomed here, no matter where you are in your faith, no matter where you are in your doubts or disbelief or your questions or wherever you are in your emotional status of things that you're experiencing this Christmas. We're so glad that you're here. And I want us to unpack this faith part. I want you to be very honest with you right off the bat. Those of us that call ourselves Christians believe something kind of odd and kind of weird. The thing that we believe is that God actually became one of us. That God, the creator of all things, universe, and everything that we see and know, everything that we don't know or don't understand, and all the things in between, we believe that God became one of us and came into this limiting world. And I know it's kind of weird, it's kind of hard to understand for some of us that don't have that faith, but this is what Christians believe. That Jesus entered this side of the doorway and came in as one of us. So in spite of all the things we can't know, the things we fear, or things we have experienced, we have a person to ground ourselves in and as the person of Jesus Christ. That when we look at him and where we read his stories, when we understand how he lived and what he did, we have a reference point of what it looks like to live in the human condition. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of unpacking this doorway to Christmas, and we've been looking at this first century document that was written by an unknown author, and it's, this document is called the Book of Hebrews. And the Book of Hebrews talks a lot about faith, so it's fitting that I use it today. And this author's attempt was to reach the Jewish people who first believed in Jesus because they saw witnesses, they saw evidence, they've experienced miracles, they've seen people who have been healed, and because of that, they believed in Jesus. And he said, yes, this is God. But then Jesus left. And the pressures of life and their experiences and their context and all the things that came their way, they began to wander away from their faith. They began to wander away from their belief system. They began to doubt. They began curious. Why, God, why aren't you doing the things we want you to do? Why are these things happening to us? Why is there persecution? Why is there war? Why, why are the Romans enslaving us? And they began to wonder. And so the author writes this to them in Hebrews 12, in the second part of verse 1 and 2, and he says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down on the right hand and the throne of God. So the author wants to remind the new Jewish Christians to fix their eyes on Jesus. He first wants to address to them and say, you have a purpose, you have a meaning in this life, and this meaning and purpose is like a race. And when you race, you have a goal in mind and you have something to focus on. And for you, this is Jesus. So there's all these other things that will come your way. There's all these emotions and feelings and, and circumstances and persecution. There's all this stuff that will come your way. But don't get distracted. See it for a smokescreen that it is. And focus your eyes on Jesus. Jesus who entered our world and lived our life. But what is faith? How do we even understand this? How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? How do we even understand faith in the midst of all this? I mean, is it pretending that everything's okay when it's not? Is it putting on a smile and being cheery because it's the season to do it, even when things are going really bad? 
Is that what faith is? What I know is that the original followers of Jesus did not pretend things were better than they were. And it scared them. And some of them ran. And some of them lied. And some of them misunderstood. And Jesus did not say, just pretend everything's okay when it's not, and just have faith, everything's fine. But he did say, have faith. And Jesus became this reference point of how to live and how to survive in a time when things go hard. In fact, if we look at Jesus' life and we say this is the perfect way to live, he was the perfect man, perfect God, the way he lived, where did his life lead him? To the cross. It was full of sorrow, full of mocking, full of betrayal, full of misunderstanding. That's a pretty hard reference point to fix your eyes onto. And yet faith reminds us in Jesus, that, and the author of Hebrews reminds us, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, when you run the race, there's something for you. And so I want to address that today. But before we get into what faith is like, I think it's probably important to address what faith is not. Because so many times we get mixed messages of what is faith and what faith is not, and so we, we begin to blur the images and we begin to live a certain way, and we can't, can't always find a way, how do we live and how do we understand our life? So first and foremost, Faith is not some sort of force. Faith is not some sort of power. It is not some sort of invisible lasso that you throw around God's neck and you pull him in and you say, okay, now I've done all these things, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to force you, God. I'm going I'm to use this magic power to, for you to do my will because I've done all these other things. And some of us think of faith this way, don't we? We've been, told this, we've been told this version of faith. If you just do enough good things, if you pray just hard enough, if you do, do enough good deeds, that God will just bend his will to yours. And that's not what faith is. Faith is not a trick. Faith is not a formula that if you just get it right, things will go perfectly for you. That's not faith. Christian faith never promises for you to do a whole bunch of things and then God will then change his will for you. In fact, the author of Hebrews, the very person that has invited us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to take our eyes off everything else, actually gives us a really good definition of faith. And he says in the first part of Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Now it's tricky because if we just end there, we could say, Paul, wait a minute, didn't you just say faith is not all these things, and if I just have confidence and I just hope I will get my way? And this is why it's crucial we read the rest of the chapter and see the rest of the context. And a tiny bit of background, this author who's writing was likely a Jewish person because he knew the Jewish laws, he knew the Jewish history, he understood it well. Some people think it's Apostle Paul, but there's enough in his writing that's different from the other letters so that we don't think it's him. Wherever it is, whatever, whoever it is, he continues the chapter to describe to us this whole history of Jewish heroes. And he explains that the clear definition of faith is hope and faith in what God says he will do. Not in what we hope he will do. Not in us knowing, well, this is the right thing. I kind of know this, but I really want to do this other thing. So I'll do this other thing because I really like it or feel like it. And then if I just pray on the side, maybe God will just bend and say this will be okay. That's not what faith is. What the author reminds us is that faith is hope in what, that God will do what he promises that he will do. That he's a person that keeps his promises. 
And so in this rest of the chapter, he begins to introduce all these ancient Jewish heroes who by faith did all these great things because they knew God promised that he would accomplish something, so they stuck with it, and some of them saw the fulfillment of it, and some of them didn't. And one of these heroes is Abraham. Now, some of you are very familiar with Abraham and heard about him before. Some of you know him a little bit, and others of you will hear him for the first time, so it's perfect. Now, God promised to Abraham about 2,000 years before the birth of Christ that he will make him a great nation. Interesting fact is about the promise is that Abraham became a great nation. He actually became several nations. Remember, faith is confidence that God will do what he says he will do. And God says, I will make your name great. So he takes this guy and his family out into the desert and tells them that he will, he's going to make their name great. And later, 4,000 years later, we're talking about him halfway around the world. Another promise that's fulfilled. And he tells him, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And that would have been a really weird thing actually for people to hear at that time. Because he says, I'm going to make you, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And when God promises to Abraham, to us, that's like, oh yeah, that's great, that's cool. He's going to be helping other nations. And we don't, we're not surprised by that writing because we live through fulfillment. We live after Jesus and we have an ethic and a way and a value that says it's good to take care of other people. It's good to help out. It's good to reach out for those that don't have very much. This is why we do Impact YXC. This is why we want to be partnering with people in our city to help others. This doesn't bother us because this is an ethic that we have. But back then, this would have been very dramatic and different. You see, nations didn't help their neighboring nations. They didn't bless, a tribe wouldn't bless another tribe. They wouldn't go out of their way to support somebody. They would conquer them. They would destroy them. They would pillage them. They would expand their territories by taking over as many tribes and nations as they could. They wouldn't bless them. They would take everything of value that another neighbor would have and make it theirs. And God says, there's something new I'm going to do through you, Abraham. I'm going to make you a blessing to other nations. I'm going to bless surrounding tribes and families, and I'm going to bless the entire earth because of you. That would have been very confusing for Abraham. First of all, they didn't have a kid, so that's pretty hard. And second of all, how do you do this when all the other nations conquer one another and hate one another? But I want to tell you today that this promise that God made to Abraham is the Christmas story. You see, Jesus being born into this world, coming through the doorway of Christmas in a little town of Bethlehem was a fulfillment of a promise made to Abraham. It was Abraham's descendants and kings and empires as they grew and King David and through that line that Jesus was born. And because of Jesus and the promise he brings into this world of life and love, the world can be blessed. And that's why in a couple of days, the Western world will celebrate Christ's birth. And the Eastern church will celebrate it a few weeks later. They're on a different calendar. But the promise to Abraham that God has made has been fulfilled. You see, God, our faith is that God will do what he says he will do. God's fulfilled his promise. And so the author of Hebrews is reminding, reminding the early Jewish Christians to say, look at these men of faith, men and women of faith, who had faith because they knew God was going to do what he promises to do. 
He's going to bless all the people. And in Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, we read, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. All of these people were still living by faith when they died, which is what the author is trying to say. Some of them didn't see the fulfillment of Abraham. They weren't alive by the time Jesus was born 2,000 years later. But they knew that God does what he promises to do. And so they lived by faith every day of their lives. They made decisions based on the fact that God is and that he keeps his promises. God kept his promises to them personally and one day, someday, in a way they couldn't even imagine God fulfilled Abraham's promise. Now, switching gears a little bit, here's the reason this is so important as we approach Christmas. Both Jewish scriptures and the New Testament scriptures, nobody assumed in the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, and the New Testament, second part of the Bible, nobody assumed that you could twist God's arm into anything. Nobody assumed if you just do a whole bunch of things, if you just throw this last around him, if you pray hard enough, if you attend church many times, if you read your Bible every single day, that God will just begin to shape his will around your will. It's the other way around. Faith meant that your will will begin to be shaped by God's will, by his promises, by what he's doing. People never try to manipulate God. And if they did, they would fail because it's not what Jewish scripture or the Christian scripture taught. They lived their lives in light of that God is good and he's for them. That God is love. And the foundation of God's promises to be a blessing to all nations is the fact that God loves all people. It's a reminder to us constantly and to our neighbors and to all those people we see differently or call our enemies that God loves them and that each person is made in his image. And therefore, each person carries a value that's unimaginable. That's why John 3.16, the famous verse, is even if you don't go to church, many people know it, see it, they see it at sports games. You know, you have your hero and they put up John 3.16. But it means that what it says is, for God so loved the world. The reason we trust God's promises, we have faith in him, is that his foundation and his ethic is love for each and every one of us. And there's this awesome story in Matthew 8 where Jesus is walking with his disciples, his students. And they come across a man covered in leprosy, this terrible sickness. And I know some of us that grew up in church, you hear about the lepers and the person with leprosy. And sometimes we just read it through and it's kind of almost know what what Jesus is going to do because he's good. Because we we have never been faced with that kind of sickness unless you've traveled to places where that still exists. Maybe you've seen it, but it's a horrible sickness and to be, it's contagious and all this kind of stuff. And, and Jesus, this man approaches him and he falls down and he has this amazing example of perfect faith. He says, Lord, which is, he has honor for Jesus. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now notice he doesn't say, Lord, I believe in you and my friends are praying. So because they're doing these things, because I'm so faithful and because my friends are praying for this, now heal me. He doesn't say that. He says, Lord, if you're willing. And why would a leper be absolutely confident that Jesus could heal him? The answer is because he, he knew Jesus had pe- healed other people. He knew that Jesus was living a lifestyle and teaching something that was so radically different and upside down than all the other things that he had heard all his life. He went to Jesus because of evidence. And the faith he had was that God does what he promises to do. And he was absolutely confident that Jesus could do for him what he needed to be done. 
And I love that Jesus says, and Jesus reached out his hand and touches the man. And it's really cool because, I mean, again, for me anyways, when I read this, I'm so removed from leprosy and from the sickness, I, I don't even have a frame of reference for it. But it would have been breaking all the laws, all the religious things, like he's going to be unclean now touching this diseased person. He's not going to be able to go to the temple. He's not going to be able to participate in all the religious festivities that were coming up. So the disciples probably like, whoa, ease up, Jesus. What are you doing? And Jesus reached out and touches him. An amazing thing is in the New Testament, in the second part of the Bible, we read when Jesus touched unclean people, Jesus didn't acquire their disease, but the opposite happened. They were healed. And Jesus reached out and touched the man. I'm willing, he said. In other words, that's all the faith I'm looking for. Not faith that you, you know I will, but simply faith that you know I can. This is the Christian faith. To know that God will do what he promises to do and that he can. And maybe you've rejected God because you've had a different definition of faith. Or maybe you're struggling or maybe you're here for the first time and you don't believe in God. And again, glad you're here. We'd love to talk to you about that. But maybe you've rejected or maybe you wrestle or maybe you have this understanding of faith that's not a Christian faith. Maybe you're working so hard to make things all right in your life and you're asking God, why aren't things going right in my life? Where are you, God, in the midst of this? Look, I've done this and this and this and this and the list goes on and on and God's not responded. And so maybe you turned away from faith, or maybe you're doubting faith, or maybe you don't understand who God is because your faith that you've been presented to you is a faulty kind of faith. And by faulty, I mean it simply is not a Christian faith. You're trying to lasso God and to do His will, to do your will. Christian faith says God will accomplish what He promises to accomplish, and that's a simple definition. That God will accomplish what He promises He will accomplish. It's a very simple definition of faith, and many resist it. And I'll tell you why people resist it. I'll tell you why sometimes I feel like resisting it. Because it leaves God in control. And I so badly want to be in control of my life. I so badly want to have the power and control of everything I do and everything I understand. And this definition of faith leaves God in control. But there's some good news that God is in control, isn't there? I'm glad God didn't answer some of my prayers when I was 11, 12, 13, 14. I'd be a mess, even bigger mess than I am now. You'd be a mess if God answered some of your 12-year-old prayers, wouldn't you? Aren't you glad God doesn't answer some of those prayers, that he has a bigger vision, that his frame of, uh, of reference is much larger than ours, that his promises are greater than what we could possibly imagine? Because friends, anytime we think we can make God do something God isn't planning to do, that's not the Christian faith. That's a formula we're trying to figure out, or a lasso, or magic. And then when God doesn't answer those kind of prayers, when God doesn't come through in the way we think he should, when things don't work out the way we dreamed of, we lose our faith. But it was founded on something it was never meant to be founded on. So here's why this is a big deal. A generation of people in the West here are abandoning their faith because we Christians sometimes have signed on on a faith and promises that God has never signed on. We, we say God will do this for you if you just. 
And when we build our faith on that kind of faith, it begins to crumble. Because when God doesn't do what we want him to do, we abandon him. And we're holding God accountable for not doing things we want him to do on something God never promised. If you grew up in this kind of vending machine God idea that if you just put enough prayers, enough coins, if you just put enough time, if you just go to enough meetings, if you just read enough Bible, that God will do what you need or what you want. God never promised this kind of faith, and God is not this kind of God. But here's an amazing part of God's faith. It's way better than that. It's way better and more beautiful and wonderful than that kind of faith. God's foundation is love. His foundation is to say that each and every one of us in this room and outside of this room and in our city and our province, our country and this world, that each person is lovable, cared for, that he knows your name and he knew you before you were born. God did not, dem- he did not demonstrate his love and concern for you by promising that every illness will be healed. And he did not demonstrate his love and concern for you by promising a carefree life. He did not demonstrate his love for us by promising a Christian nation. He did not demonstrate his love for you by promising a successful career or even a happy family. God's promise is far greater and far more meaningful and far more beautiful than that. And we know this because the author of this next verse that I'm going to read was Saul. And he hated Christians. And he went out to murder them. And he was at stonings. And he dragged people to jail. And then he encountered Jesus. And he changed everything for him. And he writes in his letter to the Romans in chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us. His demonstration for us is that while we're still messed up, while we're still choosing wrongly, God died for us. He didn't wait for you to say enough prayers. He didn't wait for you to get your life in order. He didn't wait till you get the right outfit for church. While you were still doing the wrong thing, God demonstrates his love by dying for us. And the reason this, this is written in present tense because it was very present for Paul, who would say it like this maybe, while I was still a sinner, while I was still responding negatively and poorly to a whole lot of this Christian stuff, while I was still trying to overcome some of this, Christ died for me. While I was still murderous, Christ died for me. While you were making decisions that you knew were contrary to God's will, Before you even knew what God's will was or his purposes, Jesus loved you enough to die for you. The fact that God knew how you would live, exactly who you would be, exactly the things you do and choose poorly or well, he loved you enough to die for you. This is the point of the Christmas story, that God promises and it accomplishes his promises. And his deepest promise 
is founded in the fact that he loves you and that he wants a relationship for you. And when he fulfilled Abraham's promise, he made it possible for us to have a relationship with him because of the work of Jesus. Our hope and faith in God was settled on the cross and then on, in the empty tomb. It was in the evidence of the resurrection that people came to Jesus. That's the message. That's what we call the gospel, which literally just means good news because it's good news for us that God would love us so much while we were still in a mess, while we were still choosing poorly. Christ died for us. And this is why it's so crucial to understand what faith is. The Jewish heroes of old who looked forward and believed that God would act the way he would, in what he promised, we're living on the other side of all those promises. We live on the other side of the fulfillment in the birth of Christ. So when we celebrate Christmas in a couple of days, when we look through the doorway of Christmas, when we get excited and get all together and we have all these array of emotions of happiness and joy and sorrow and all of that stuff that comes up for you, we know that God accomplished and fulfilled his promise to Abraham that others could be blessed because of him. Third, one-third of the world's population actually believes in Jesus. This is exactly what God promised would happen. And it's not about getting all the things that we want in life. This is why the fastest growing church in the world is in the hardest places of the world. In China, in the Middle East, in India. Wherever there's persecution, the faith and the hope grows because they know God will accomplish what he promises. That he offers life and love for all of us even while we are messed up, even while we choose to do something we know we shouldn't do. So this is why the author of Hebrews reminds us to simply fix our eyes on Jesus, not because of faith, but because he has provided us with enough evidence to believe. While our minds continue to catch up with us of the mysteries of the world and all the things we don't know and marvels of creation and biology and everything, all the good things that we have in our world, He's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Run your race. God will accomplish what he promises to accomplish. The root of his existence is love for you. There's a lot of things we won't know. There's a lot of things we won't understand. And there's a lot of things we won't see fulfilled because God's promises and his view of life is much larger and much bigger than we could ever understand. There's a lot of things we don't know about ourselves and about our bodies. Fun fact, while you've been sitting here listening to me talk, while we've been together, your body killed off about 2.8 billion cells. I mean, you didn't do anything to accomplish that. That's just how you're designed. There's a lot of things we don't know. This, this is the things we do know. There's a lot of things we don't know. What we do know in faith is that God will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. 2,000 years ago, a little light broke into a little town of Bethlehem. God spoke in terms that all of us in every single generation could understand. He showed up on our side of the doorway to serve as a reference for us of what it looks like to live a righteous, a good life. And it does not mean no persecution. It does not mean things will go perfect. 
I want to read to you an amazing text written by John. John was one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of the guys that kind of lasted longer. He saw his friends carried off into slavery. He saw thousands of Jewish people killed by the Romans. He saw the temple be destroyed to never be rebuilt. And yet with all the bloodshed, with all the terror, with all the things happening to him and to his friends everywhere around him, he wrote this, in him, that is in Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So whatever your frame of reference is, I want to conclude with these words that were said at Eugene Peterson's funeral by his son, who said, my father only preached one sermon over and over and over and over in different ways. And it's a sermon that's, that's based and built in the promises of God, in something that we can hang our faith on. And he said this, God loves you. He's on your side. He's for you. And he's relentless. In this incredible season, would you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? May you know that when you have sorrow and joy in the same room, when they're experienced in the same place, it's a sign of God's presence. And that he loves you, and he's on your side, and he's for you, and he's relentless. Would you stand to pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are love. That you came into this world so that we could know this love. That we could know forgiveness. That we could know life to the fullest. That we could know that we are lovable. That we're accepted. And that we have a place. Thank you, God, for being love. Help us be love to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. Help us to be love to our enemies. Help us to live and walk in your footsteps. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to remind you that tomorrow is our Christmas Eve service. Please bring your friends and family and neighbors. Invite them to that. It's going to be a fantastic service. Common Ground is closed today. There's going to be a prayer team up front. If anything touched your heart, please come and pray. And uh, we're done a little bit early, so don't rush to grab your kids. Visit with people. Say hello to somebody. Give someone a hug. But then when the time is right, do pick up your kids. Go in peace. <laughs>